0: So I'd like to um, to talk for this next part of the uh, Dharma talk on um, the last of the body contemplations in the Satipatthana Sutta, and um, and these are the ch- what are called the charnel ground contemplations. So um, so when the Buddha was uh, wandering as a, um, a mendicant, a, a, a seeker, somebody who lived on alms, was living an ascetic life um, before his his awakening. Uh, um, he would spend time practicing in in the charnel grounds, uh, just you know, as a place to to go and meditate, and and these were. These were grounds where people would lay their dead, to uh, just to to the open air, to be exposed to the open air, to the animals that would come and and devour the the corpses, and and uh, and to just the natural uh, work of the sun and the rain and you know all the different forces of, of nature that would decompose um, the bodies and, um, and this is still done in parts of Tibet um, I, I don't know if it's done at all in India but uh, mostly I think it's um, uh, it's cremation and scattering of ashes uh, to the Ganges possibly or other places but but, um, but in Tibet they have the sky burials still and they they bring uh, the body up to the mountaintop and uh, and actually there there are people who um, crack open the skull and you know so that the birds can uh, can get to the nutrients of the brain and uh, and so it's um, it's considered uh, a giving back to life giving the body back to life and so this is um, this is the, the last uh, contemplation that the Buddha gives in this section of the text, and it's it's really to contemplate death, the inevitability of our own death, and um, and in every spiritual tradition, uh, this is a very key and important teaching. Um, in fact. The Buddha said that this was such an important teaching that um, there's this story that he was, he was with uh, three of his students and he asked them each, how often do you contemplate death? You know, how frequently do you contemplate death? And one of them says, um, Master, I contemplate death on every new moon and every full moon. And uh, the Buddha said, "Not enough." And then the next one said, uh, "Master, I contemplate death every day." And the Buddha said, "Well, that's better, but it's not enough." And the and the third one says, uh, "Master, I contemplate breath, uh, death with every breath." And he said, "Yes." So, so with every breath, uh, that is that is part of what each in-breath and each out-breath is. It's an arising and it's a passing away. <clears throat> so the contemplation on the charnel grounds goes like this. <clears throat> As though he were to see a corpse. So it's a kind of a visualization. You know, it's not, this is not a mindfulness practice. It's a, it's a contemplation, it's a visualization. So as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two, or three days dead, bloated, living, and oozing matter, and one compares this same body with it, one's own body. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. Again, as though one were to see a corpse thrown away in a charnel ground that is being devoured by crows, hawks, vultures, dogs, jackals, or various kinds of worms. And again, it's the same contemplation, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that, it is not exempt from that fate. A corpse thrown away in a charnel ground, which is a skeleton with flesh and blood, held together with sinews. So all of these are further and further states of um, decomposition. Then he goes on, a fleshless skeleton smeared with blood. A skeleton without flesh and blood. Disconnected bones scattered in the main and immediate directions. Here a hand bone, elsewhere a foot bone. Elsewhere a shin bone, elsewhere a thigh bone, elsewhere a hip bone, a backbone, and elsewhere a, a skull. So the, the now the the sinews have decomposed, so they're not holding the body together as a you know a recognizable human body, and uh, and the bones are just scattering. Then the bones bleached white, the color of shells then bones heaped up more than a year old so they've been moved around by animals blown around perhaps bones rotten and crumbling to dust so so eventually the, the bones which you know are uh, the, the strongest part of the body the most uh... Um, the, these minerals that uh exist in the bones, even these begin to fall apart. Um, bones rotten and crumbling to dust. One compares the same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that, it is not exempt from that fate. In this way, in regard to the body, he imbibes, contemplating the body internally and externally, and both internally and externally, he abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. And mindfulness, that there is a body, is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world, That too is how, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body. So this is not to, you know, be depressing. (laughs) The purpose of this is to free us. To free us from the fear and from the clinging, uh, and from the identification that this body is is me or mine. Um, so we've we've been reflecting on the body um, with the contemplations, the parts of the body, the 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 selfless nature of the body, and now recognizing that that the body. Uh, not only intellectually understanding that we will die, I think we all get that, but really taking it in, making a practice of taking in and and what are the implications of this truth, of living in the light of this truth for us. From the Dhammapada, the Buddha says, unlike those who don't realize that we're here on the verge of perishing. We don't know when we'll die at any moment. Those who do, those who do realize that, their quarrels are stilled. So that's, that's an effect of contemplating our death. Those, those little conflicts or big conflicts or disagreements or um, dislikes that seem so important um, can we let them go? Can we live in peace? It's not to say that you know we don't need to take care of ourselves if we're in a relationship or there is a relationship in our lives which is is harming us. But to be at peace with what our decision is about how we work with that. Uh, In in our society, in our culture, um, we have uh, very... uh, a lot of avoidance of uh, of death. We we hide it away. Um, we we put people. Uh, you know, when somebody's died, they go to a usually they go to a morgue and and um, and then you know they're made to look as if they're alive. Faces painted. I mean, I, I think that there's a changing attitude about that because environmentally. You know the the chemicals that are pumped into corpses uh, to make them look lifelike uh, are so destructive. Um, so I think there's a changing cultural attitude toward what we do with bodies, but but we certainly um, want them, you know, taken out of our sight. Um, and um, and. And out of sight, out of mind. We don't want to think about it, you know. We want to, we want to keep thinking that death is some distant future thing that, you know, will. Yeah, okay. I know. Maybe, maybe when I'm ninety. Maybe a hundred. You know, <laughs> like, like we're living longer and longer these days, right? You know, like, uh, I know somebody who lived to 103. And, you know. So this is how our mind thinks, and then and then somebody we know dies, and um, and maybe they were thirty or forty or fifty. That's tragic, you know. Oh, it's tragic. But you know, one of these days, walk in the cemetery, which is behind the park. You know, when you go out of the. Um, uh, and you go out, out of the out of Galilee Center, and there's a park there. And just, if you walk through the park, there's a, an old cemetery, one of these old cemeteries that has headstones dating back uh, to early 19th century. And, and we'll see, you see, you know, so many. Of course, we have better uh, averages on infant mortality, but so many babies and young children and then so many young people at the time of the of the great war and uh, and and then so many people dying in their thirties, forties, fifties and it's we are on average living longer and there are also still many people who die early for all kinds of reasons accidents, diseases so, um, yeah, all all living beings want to live. You know, that's um, all living beings want to live and to not die. Uh, it's you know we just see it. You know we see it with a spider. You know, you, you come. I come into the bathroom and you know I open the door and. The spider senses movement and it freezes. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, huh? be at peace. <laughs> yeah, you're okay. Uh, and um, yeah, but but the thing about human beings and maybe other highly evolved um, mammals is that you know we have an understanding that we will die, and um, and so. Um, so, so how, do we, how do we work with that? How do we work with that understanding? Um, a lot of us avoid it uh, by, well, as I said, not thinking about it, assuming, like, it's, you know, I'm going to live a long life. You know. um, some of us also create strong beliefs about death. And um, you know, whatever it is, uh, I'm going go to go heaven. I'm going to see all my my family. I'm going to be reborn. You know, as, uh, you know, all of these things are um, avoiding the not knowing around what is death. <clears throat> death was a very important part of the Buddha's spiritual path many of you are probably familiar with the story of the Buddha's um, kind of uh, embarking on his spiritual journey, he lived a very privileged life as a prince and his father had wanted to protect him from any signs of the unsatisfactoriness the of of mundane life uh, that things do uh, age and and things do die and and things do fall apart Um, and so because there had been this uh, prophecy that the Buddha would either be a great king or a great um, spiritual teacher and so uh, the Buddha's father understood that if he saw through the the um, incapacity of our world, our conditioned world to give us a fulfilling sense of peace and and uh, contentment in our lives that he would seek um, wisdom and so which was transcendent and um, and so the so the Buddha as a young man ventured out beyond the palace grounds because he had a curious and interested mind and he went with his um, his coachman who was also a dear friend um, and so he went out several times the first time he saw somebody who was old and this this is this is a teaching story so you don't have to take it absolutely you know that it's Literally true. It's a teaching story, so and I think it's a good one for our times because of the way that we try to disguise aging and and illness and death. You know, we think that we we've done something wrong if we get sick. Um, and um, and so so the Buddha um, had gone out. He'd seen somebody who was old and had talked to his friend about this and. Said you know what 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 is it with this person you know wh- why do they look like that well sir he's an old person and somebody was sick what's wrong with her you know why does you know why is she why is she coughing and you know and so it's a sick person so then the third time he goes out and um, uh, and each time he comes back you know to his to his uh, palace and he's, he's really reflecting on these things, it's disturbing. Um, and, um, and so he, it says again, he grew restless and ill at ease and he wanted to know more of the fate of those who live in this world. And he summoned his chariot and once more set forth. Now this is a, a telling, kind of a, a rendering of the story by uh, Douglas Pennick. Um, and I found it in Tricycle magazine. I really liked it. And, uh, And this time he saw a procession of men and women weeping, and on their shoulders they carried a stretcher, and it was the form of a woman wrapped in cotton, shrunken, brittle, motionless. Her face was gray, her mouth open, but she did not breathe. Flies crawled in and out of her nose, but she did not react. She was rigid and lifeless as a stick of dried wood those carrying her and all of those in the procession were weeping and crying and the prince asked you know what is that thing in the shape of a deformed woman um, it's rigid and immobile and must be carried it's followed by a crowd wailing and, and, and wearing white clothes What what is this what's happening here what is she doing and uh, the charioteer replied um, My lord, she has neither intelligence, nor feeling, nor breath. She sleeps without consciousness. She is insensitive to pleasure or suffering. Sire, she is dead. And the prince said, "Mm, Is this woman the only one stricken in this way? And the charioteer answered, No, this is the end that awaits every living being. And the prince said, Um... And where has life gone? Where has consciousness gone? And his friend said, no, no one knows, my lord. But certainly many religions and many philosophies have taught that a soul or consciousness has an afterlife. Siddhartha asked, is this true? All we know are visions and words from living men and women. The dead do not speak. So we know we will die, but we do not know anything beyond that. Death, my lord, is the end of our understanding. And, and, and then Siddhartha said, We cannot stop it. Our minds teem with theories. We struggle and we kill to take control of destiny. We fill the world with dreams. No matter, we will die. No matter, we do not know when or why or for what purpose. So this had a profound impact, and then the next time the pala- uh, the, uh, Siddhartha left the palace, he saw walking in the distance a, um, a wandering sramana, uh, which is like a, a spiritual seeker, and, and he said, this is what I will do. I will go out and I will um, try to find a way that is beyond aging, illness, and death. And um, and the Buddha, when the Buddha, you know, he he went through many uh, practices and austerities and tried to find, um, you know, what was the way beyond death, and um, and under the Bodhi tree. Under the Bodhi tree, um, as he awakened, he said, I have realized the deathless. So, so there is this capacity that we have to wake up from this delusion that, <clears throat> that this body is um, is me, is mine and to realize, and the Buddha call, always used uh, well, usually used negatives to describe it he, he referred to this as the deathless he referred to this awakening as the unborn the unconditioned um, and um, and he called it Nirvana, uh, or Nirvana, which in, in Sanskrit, which is a word that um, that means the extinguishment, the extinguishment of suffering, the extinguishment of craving, the extinguishment of of uh, of clinging. And he didn't say what it is. He didn't say it is anything. And at the same time, he said, <clears throat> if you could not realize this, then I would not be teaching you. So there is... Uh, there is a, an awakening, there is a realization of a... Um, yeah, time you start to use a word, Thing about words is that they, words, break up reality into pieces, so that we can talk about it and put it together in different ways. But, but words don't serve to, um, to bring us to an experience which is um, beyond the understanding of our conceptual minds. <coughs> So, uh, so so many teachers, the Buddha, Ajahn Chah, I think Mohammed said this too, in different ways, teachers tell us to die before we die, so die, die to the clinging, what does it mean to die to the clinging? It means to, to let go, let it go, see through the futility of it, see see the see the uh the uselessness of it see see the suffering of it and um and live in freedom it doesn't mean that we don't live with caring and i think there's that you know that middle way that we need to find again and again so if we if we recognize that we die does it mean that we don't care about life so it's it's that it's that heart which is deeply connected to all, and at the same time, you know, recognizes that that there is nothing that we can claim that we are. Um, Nisargadatta, a a great 20th century master, put it this way: um, wisdom tells me I'm nothing, and love tells me I'm everything. And between these two, my life flows. So, in contemplating death, you know, we're we're opening to that that difficult truth that there's nothing we can hold on to. <clears throat> there's a. Um, I think I'm just going to end with this poem which um, I think is is, uh, quite apt at this time of year as we look out at the the trees that have lost their leaves it's called Learning from Trees and uh, the poet is Grace Butcher If we could like the trees practice dying do it every year just as something we do like going on vacation or celebrating birthdays it would become as easy a part of us as our hair or clothing someone would show us how to lie down and fade away as if in deepest meditation and we would learn about the fine dark emptiness both knowing it and not knowing it and coming back would be irrelevant. Whatever it is the trees know when they stand undone, surprisingly intricate, we need to know also so we can allow that last thing to happen to us as if it were only an any ordinary thing. Leaves and lives falling away, the spirit complex Waiting in the fine darkness to learn which way it will go So let's sit for a minute